This past Easter, Eric and I went to men's warehouse to get our clothes for Easter. It's kind of a big deal for pastors, okay? And so we go to men's warehouse, and in the whole store, there's only two jackets that can fit my lanky body. And there's not a single pair of pants that are short enough for Eric's legs. It was kind of awkward, but a lot of fun. Another awkward moment happened really early in the church plant. My wife and I were going to a fundraising banquet for an organization called Amana Kids. It's this amazing organization that sponsors orphans in Rwanda. The family in our church started it and they run it. And so Whitney and I are going to that. We're excited. And I know that Eric and his wife, Sarah, are going to be there. So Whitney and I, we pull up in the parking lot and I look over towards the entrance and I'm like, oh, cool. There's Eric right there. So we jump out and we run over and we see him and I'm like, oh, there's Eric. This is exciting. Who's that woman that he's with? And I was like, oh, maybe that's like a sister you've never introduced me to. I was kind of confused, but still super excited to see Eric. So I walk up to him like, Eric, how's your weekend been? How's it been going? You know, like I do the kind of loud high five, hug, wrap around thing. And he doesn't really return the favor. In fact, he actually looks at me like, who are you and why are you talking really loud while you give me a hug? Which is the same face that a lot of you guys give me on Sunday mornings. Okay, I still love you. Don't worry. I still love you. So here I am. I'm, I'm thinking, Eric is upset with me. Is he mad at me? Like, where's the smiles? Where's the hugs? And who's this woman that he's with? What is going on here? But Whitney and I, we get our tickets and we go inside to the main event. And I look across the room and I see Eric. And I'm like, wait, I thought I was just outside giving a hug to Eric. Now why am I seeing Eric across the room here? And that's when it dawned on me that the man I had hugged outside was his identical twin brother, Aaron, and that woman was his wife. I had the wrong Eric. I had the wrong guy. And because I had the wrong Eric, things got awkward. Because I had the wrong Eric, I had all sorts of questions going on in my mind that I couldn't find answers to. I started doing things and thinking things and saying things that made stuff awkward, all based on me not having the right Eric. Since then, I've learned that Eric and his better-looking brother, Aaron, (laughs) do this identical twin thing. Aaron knew exactly what he was doing. They do this often, and I was just the latest victim of their plan. But I think that what happened to me in that night, me and Eric, can happen to any of us when it comes to Jesus. We can have the wrong Jesus, the wrong idea of who he is, the wrong idea of what he is like and how he relates to us. In fact, our hearts and the world around us have built up and branded many different versions of Jesus. You may have heard of some of these. We'll have them on the screen. First up is Baby Jesus. Anybody seen Talladega Nights? You know that scene. Will Ferrell's praying before the meal, and he says, Dear Lord, Baby Jesus. Dear sweet, tiny Baby Jesus in your golden fleece diapers. You know that part? And then he goes on and on. He's praying to Baby Jesus, meek and mild, weak and feeble. And then up next is Mystical Jesus. This is the Jesus who's always lost in deep thought. He's probably like up in a tower somewhere, elevated three inches off the ground, sitting cross-legged, and who knows if he ever thinks about you. He's got so much going on in the world. And then there's Rambo Jesus. Rambo Jesus, 
He's got his army ready. He's got his guns out. And he's telling you and me, all the other bad guys and Satan and all his demons, he's saying, don't make me come down there, right? That's rainbow Jesus. You've also got Republican Jesus. Um, Republican Jesus always votes for Second Amendment rights, and he goes to the NRA conventions. Republican Jesus also um, wears a power suit with a red tie to work every single day. Most likely he does, right? I just stepped on some toes there. I love you still. Anyways, the last version of Jesus that I'm going to highlight today is hipster Jesus, right? This is a really cool Jesus. Hipster Jesus wears flannel, and he wears black rim glasses even though he doesn't need them. Hipster Jesus is really cool. He's chilled out. He probably doesn't have a job, and he just loves to really connect with people. There's all sorts of different versions of Jesus, and I think you're getting the idea here. Can I ask you, what is your version of Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? It's probably the most important question that any of us could ever ask. What you believe about Jesus, if you believe Jesus at all, determines and shapes your life. Like if you follow baby Jesus, then he's only important to you during December. Why care about him during the rest of the year? If you follow mystical Jesus, then you're not for sure if he ever really cares about you because he's lost an introspective thought about, worried about everything else going on in the world. If you follow rainbow Jesus, then you probably try to stay out of trouble and keep your nose clean so that he doesn't get mad at you. If you follow hipster Jesus, then life is about being cool and keeping this dude with the black rim glasses in your passenger seat. Any lesser version of Jesus sets us up to miss the true and real life that Jesus has for us. What you believe about Jesus shapes your whole life. And this question is so life-shaping, so important to our thoughts and our emotions and our actions and how we live that we need to be careful just who we talk to whenever we ask the question, who is the real Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? And this morning, I want to introduce to you someone who I think is trustworthy to answer that question. His name is John. And John lived during the time of Jesus. He followed Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. They were friends. It was almost kind of like a bromance, the level of time that they hung out and spent together. You can think of it like this. John is not a journalist who sensationalized the story of Jesus to make money off of it. No, John was a friend and a follower of Jesus who gave up his very life to tell the true story of Jesus. He had to share what he experienced, what he saw, and what he heard when he was with Jesus. So John wrote a biography of Jesus. And that biography is in your Bible. It's called the Gospel of John. John shows his cards to us. He's right up front and saying, this is why I wrote my biography of Jesus. You can see it in John chapter 20, verse 31, where it says, these are written, these stories about Jesus, these teachings of Jesus, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John is very clear. He wants you and me to believe the real Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, not a version of Jesus that your grandma made up to try to keep you in line. 
Not a version of Jesus that a legalistic church leader enforced to try to keep you away from sin. Not a version of Jesus that our media portrays and sensationalizes. Not a version of Jesus that you and me can create in our own image based on our personalities and our past experiences. No, John wants us to discover the real, true, authentic, and genuine Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. If John would have been at that fundraising banquet, he would have come up to him and said, hey, Doug, that guy's actually Aaron. Cool guy. You should get to know him. But I think you're looking for Eric. The real Eric is over here. John wants us to discover the real Jesus. He wants us to follow the real Jesus. So John starts his book off in chapter 1 by giving us three basic truths about the real Jesus. And as we go through these uh, three basic truths, I just want you to ask yourself each time, do I believe the real Jesus? And for some of you this morning, your version of Jesus is going to change. Your idea of who he is and what he's like, it's going to be changed. That's okay. Trust the Bible as it teaches you. Let John be your guide to discover the real and true Jesus. So let's look at basic truth number one. The first thing that John tells us about the real Jesus is this. The real Jesus is God. The real Jesus is God. Look at John 1, verse 1. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Did you catch that pronoun at the beginning of verse 2? All through verse 1, John is talking about this word, this enduring reality, this defining concept, this universe-shaping, universe-creating word. He says that this word has always been around. This word was with God. This word was even God. And then in verse 2, John says that this word is a He. So this word isn't just an idea you might explore on Wikipedia or a word you might look up in a dictionary. This word is a he. So who is he? Let's keep going in the text, see if it answers the questions for us. Verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this word, this he, made everything, and everything was made through him, okay? Now, can we just pause here and say, man, we are swimming in some deep waters. We are talking about the origins of reality, the beginning of beginnings, and in particular, we're talking about who was there in the beginning, Because whoever was there in the beginning and whoever did create all this stuff has rights over all those things and governs all those things precisely because he created them. The creator is God because he created them. So John is taking us back to the origins of reality and intentionally challenging our brains. He's going into the deep waters on purpose. We should read these verses and respond like, wow, that's big. That is huge. That's more than my three and a half pounds of brain can figure out. And then when you're in that holy cow moment, drop down to chapter 1, verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, 
and the word. The word, this he who was with God and through whom all things were made, this he who was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory, and now John's about to give it away. He's about to tell us who this word, this mysterious he is. This glory as of the only son from the father. Okay, I know we're like got our thinking caps on here. Track with me just a little bit more. This word, this he who was there in the beginning was with God and is God. This word, this he through whom all things were made and without him nothing would have ever been made. This he is the very source of life and light. This he is the only son from the father. Okay, so this word, this he, namely is who, church? Jesus. He is Jesus. Jesus is the word, the defining reality of the whole universe. Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. And without him, nothing would exist. Without Jesus, there would be no life, no light, no you, no me. Jesus is God, eternally existing, creating all things and sustaining all things. John tells us the real Jesus is God. Now, I got to be honest. My version of Jesus is sometimes he's a really nice guy who rides in the passenger seat and tells me it's okay to go over the speed limit. My version of Jesus sometimes is he's kind of like Santa Claus, but he likes to sit on a rocking chair on the front porch and drink sweet tea with me. And I don't know if you just heard what John wrote, but John just kind of blew up that passenger seat Jesus thing. John says to me, Doug, Jesus is not your co-pilot. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is not your Santa Claus. No, Jesus is your God. The real Jesus is God. So can I ask you, is Jesus your God? Do you worship Jesus as the all-defining reality of the universe and your life? Do you trust Jesus as the giver of your breath and the sustainer of your heartbeat? Do you see Jesus as the God and the creator who has the right to rule and govern your everyday life? John wants us to believe the real Jesus. And the first thing he brings to us is the real Jesus is God. John continues in chapter 1, bringing us another truth about the real Jesus. And he also says this, number 2, The real Jesus is here. The real Jesus is here. So go back to verse 14. Let's look at it again. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So think about this. The word, this God eternal, this he who has forever existed, he became flesh. He stepped into a body, a real body that decays and gets old and has armpit hair and zits and freckles, right? Jesus is God, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, but Jesus is also near. He is like us. He understands us. He became one of us. So yes, Jesus is God, but he doesn't live far, far away in a distant galaxy. No, Jesus has come near to us. He, like Derek said, he has moved into our neighborhood. God became one of us. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. 
but that's okay. Alanis Morissette sang a really cool song in the 1990s, right? You know where I'm going. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus? Now you've got it stuck in your head the rest of the day. You're welcome. Well, the truth is that God did become one of us. He has come among us, and the answers to Alanis Morissette's questions in that song are found in the Gospel of John. God became one of us in Jesus. He is near. He has moved into our neighborhood. Now, Jesus moving into the neighborhood, it might bring out some fears, right? What's he going to think about my landscaping? What's he going to think about how I do my yard or the paint colors I chose? Is Jesus just here to like condemn me and like highlight all the mistakes that I've made in my neighborhood? Verse 14 answers that question for us as well. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Now it's going to talk about what is that glory? That glory is full of grace and truth. Now skip down to verse 16. For from his fullness, from Jesus, we have all received what? Grace upon grace. The real Jesus who is here with us, he is marked by, characterized by, and known by. He gave his very life so that he could give you grace upon grace upon grace. You may have been around people or churches who spoke and sold a false version of Jesus. This is the Jesus who wants to condemn you. And look down his nose at your mess and my mess. This is the Jesus who's just a stick in the mud, a Debbie Downer, a legalistic browbeater who wants to expose your every fault and give you shame every day of your life. Hear this. That is a lie. That is a lie and it happens to come from hell. That is not the real Jesus. In fact, as we go through John, we're going to see some surprising stuff. Next chapter, John chapter 2, there's this big wedding and they run out of wine. So what does Jesus do? He turns water into wine. Let me just tell you, that was not grape juice, okay? It wasn't grape juice and Jesus wasn't judging them. Next chapter, John chapter 3, Jesus himself says that, man, God didn't send me into the world to condemn the world, but instead to save the world. Hear this, church. It is our sin that condemns us, not Jesus. And it is Jesus who saves us, not our good works. You hear that? It is our sin that condemns us, not Jesus. It is Jesus who came to save us from our sins by giving us grace. He came, he is near, he is here, and he moved into the neighborhood so that he could give us grace upon grace upon grace. City light, is that how you see Jesus? Can I just encourage you? You can lay down and set aside that false version of Jesus that says he's just out to condemn you. You can throw that down. You don't need that anymore. No, Jesus is here to give you grace. Trust John when he says it's your sin that condemns you and it's Jesus who wants to save you from that sin by giving you grace. Amen, church? Amen. So the first thing that John does is he blows our minds by telling us that Jesus is God. But then he kind of drops down to the street level and he reminds us, yeah, he's God, but Jesus is also near. He's here. One final thing John wants to show us so that we might believe the real Jesus is this. The real Jesus changes lives. The real Jesus changes lives. It's what he does. It's who he is. And John shows us this 
um, throughout the rest of the chapter by giving us examples of real lives that were changed by Jesus. First life changed by Jesus was a man named John the Baptizer. Okay, we got a lot of Johns going here. This one is John the Baptizer. You may have heard him called John the Baptist. John the Baptizer was one of the most famous people in Israel when Jesus showed up. He was like a celebrity preacher, had thousands of followers. He was like the best show in town. But when Jesus showed up, John the Baptizer, his ministry began to diminish. In fact, John himself said, no, don't follow me. Follow this one. He's the Lamb of God. I can't even tie his shoes. I'm not even worthy of that. Follow Jesus. John could have chosen to pursue fame and popularity, but instead he said, no, I want to decrease so that Jesus can increase. And I wonder, maybe God wants to change your life or my life that way too. Maybe Jesus wants us to decrease so that he can increase. Jesus changed John the baptizer's life, and then come some more lives changed by Jesus. A couple disciples of John leave John the baptizer, and they go follow Jesus. Along the way, they grab one of their brothers, like, hey, come follow us. We found this Jesus dude. We're changing our whole lives, and we're going to follow him. They received a new identity, a new destiny. One of them even received a brand new name. Their lives were changed. The next day, Jesus goes, ah, you, come follow me too, and you, come follow me too. So within a matter of days, we have six people whose lives are literally changed by Jesus in a moment. The real Jesus changes lives. He's so compelling and he's so clear and he's so courageous that when you discover the real Jesus, you can't help but want to follow him. Forget fame, get Jesus. Forget your comfort in life, follow Jesus. Forget what you know and you already have. Run hard after Jesus because he is worth it. The real Jesus changes lives and he can, he will change your life too. That's who he is, that's what he does. And I love that among our church, he has been changing a lot of lives. Some of you are like, yep, that'd be me. Let me just share a couple stories with you. The first one is my friend, Chris Hawkins. I love Chris's story. Man, for many years, uh, Chris was a good man, worked hard, chased money, tried to like um, provide for his family. But honestly, he just was not interested in Jesus. His wife loved Jesus and followed Jesus. She even hung out with Jesus's people, the church. The way Chris would say it is every year on his birthday, He'd go outside and snap his finger because that reminded him how fast a year goes. And then this last year, he said, you know what? Nothing much has ever changed about me. I think I need to try Jesus. And oh man, when he did that, Jesus showed up in Chris's life and he changed everything. Now, Chris is connected in his marriage and enjoying his wife. Chris is connected with his kids, with his work, with his friendships. He's connected with his city group. Literally everything has changed about Chris. He has a new identity and a new destiny. Just a few weeks ago, he got baptized right here. Some of you guys are here to celebrate. And then yesterday morning, he started the church planting track in our summer school for leaders. I talked to his wife recently and she said, man, it's like I have a total different husband. Everything has changed. The real Jesus changes lives. Another example from right here in our church. Um, this is my friend Grace Gard. She wrote her story out and she, she said it this way. Up until my junior year in high school, I was only concerned with friends, my latest crush, and doing everything my own way. Some of us could identify, right? Then I had some really great friends 
who invited me to their church, and I joined their youth group. One of them told me she wanted to see me in heaven and how much I meant to her, and things started to become more real. At a conference during that year of high school, something they said triggered my heart to react, and I realized I didn't have to do anything but trust in Jesus. So I surrendered my life to him, not really knowing what it would look like. Did you hear that? Some friends loved on her and brought her into community. And then God started doing something in her heart, and she realized, all I have to do is trust Jesus. So she surrendered her life to him, not even knowing what all would change. Jesus changes lives. Today, Grace and her husband, Alec, volunteer in our youth group. They love to follow Jesus, and they love to help teenagers discover the real Jesus who can also change their lives. The real Jesus changes lives. So City Light, let me sum it up this way. The real Jesus is God. He is the Lord of the universe and the Lord of every human heart. And this real Jesus, he has come near to us. He is here, not far off. He's not avoiding you or keeping distance from you. No, he moved into our neighborhood so that he can give you grace upon grace. And when he gives you that grace, the real Jesus will change your life. He will transform your life. So can I ask you, do you know the real Jesus? Do you believe the real Jesus? May we be a people who follow the real Jesus, enjoy the real Jesus, and as we track through the Gospel of John, believe more and more the real Jesus. Will you pray with me, church? You can bow your heads. We don't have to rush. We are right on time. No need to hurry. But would you just linger where you are for a little bit and just pray? Begin talking to God. Like I said, he's here, he's listening, and he cares. My sense is there's some folks who just don't think their life will actually change. Like right now you're going, okay, that might be true for Chris or for Grace. Like that's, that's kind of the church thing. I get that, but not me. My life won't really change. And so honestly, if you don't mind me just challenging you, can you tell that to Jesus? Can you say that to him? And you say, Jesus, I have a hard time believing you can actually change me. And there may be a host of reasons why you have a hard time believing that, but can you just be honest and tell him you have a hard time believing that he can change you? And then could you, again, this is a challenge. It's a step forward for some of you. Could you ask him and say, Jesus, as hard as it is for me to believe, I still want to ask you, will you change me? Will you make me a new man? Will you make me a brand new woman? Would you give me a new identity and a new destiny? Would you make me a new child, a new son, a new daughter? Jesus, I need you to change me. Jesus, we just invite you right now. Would you do that for everyone who's asking? And then, Father, I pray for friends in this room who need to set aside false versions of you, versions they inherited from um, parents, versions they inherited from grandparents or church leaders. 
Father, anybody who's shackled by legalism, would you just break those shackles right now with the power of your grace? May they experience your grace overflowing on them to the degree that they can say, oh, I don't need these chains anymore. I have the power of Jesus' grace in my heart and in my mind, in my life. Oh God, would you work miracles in this room? Would you work miracles in our heart? Would you open eyes to see the real Jesus so that we can follow him and have life in his name? We pray in Jesus' good name, amen.